Since early 2020, the world has become familiar with the impacts of COVID-19, isolation, mask wearing, and for far too many, disease and death. Today's guest says there's another impact we are just beginning to grapple with, the way the pandemic has affected global mental health. He's Dr. Shekhar Saxena, this week on Story in the Public Square. Hello and welcome to A Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. I'm Jim Lutis from the Pell Center at Salve Regina University. And I'm G. Wayne Miller with the Providence Journal. This week, we're joined by Dr. Shekhar Saxena, who is Professor of the Practice of Global Mental Health at the Department of Global Health and Population at the Harvard University T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Dr. Saxena, thank you so much for being with us. Pleasure to be here. You know, there's uh, a lot that we want to talk to you about today. We want to get to the conversation about the pandemic, but I'm curious to know a little bit more about you. What drew you to psychiatry in the first place? Well, uh, I'm a psychiatrist by training. I did that about 40 years ago and worked for the next 20 years in uh, clinical practice, uh, seeing patients one after another one, but also did teaching and research. And then I joined the World Health Organization based in Geneva and did public mental health, advising governments, uh, making use of research, scaling up services, advising organizations in how to strengthen the mental health care system. Before I joined Harvard University for the last three years, I've been working there. And again, doing something very similar, but also teaching and currently uh, the COVID pandemic actually is keeping me very busy because uh, mental health consequences of that are uh, quite substantial. And we, and we want to talk about that, but I wonder for folks at home who maybe, uh, you know, might be generally familiar with public health because of the events of the last two years, uh, mental public health is in the same, in the same vein, but it's focused on mental health. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, we look at, uh, mental health systems and services and mental health of populations rather than mental health of individuals. Obviously, mental health of population consists of the aggregate of mental health of individuals, but the focus is on how can systems be better? How can policies be better? And how can people get the care that they need in a very timely manner, but also for US, I must add, in an affordable manner. So, Long before the pandemic, and certainly continuing and, and maybe exacerbated now, social determinants of health, overall health, including physical and mental health, have been very important. You know, things such as food and housing and economic insecurity, and depending on what part of the world or what part of the country you live in, also your race and ethnicity. Talk about those social determinants and how they are so important to a person's overall well-being or lack of well-being. Indeed, Wayne, um, social, uh, demographic, and economic determinants are very important for the overall area of health, but even more for mental health and well-being. In fact, I would even go ahead and say that the services part, which is helping people very practically with the problems that they have, 
is actually only a small part of looking after people's health because some of the policies uh, and some of the determinants at a larger level have much more impact on people's health and mental health and actually play a very big role in why and how people become more distressed, go into mental disorders, go into disabilities, uh, have uh, decreased functioning, and how they finally seek help. But much happens before that, actually. And just to give you an example, there are very clear uh, relationship between, say, for example, poverty, lack of uh, appropriate education, lack of uh, job opportunities, discriminations of all kinds, whether they are based on gender, whether they are based on gender identity, based on race, ethnicity, and other factors. And all of them have an impact. I'll give you two examples. One is of the immigrants and, and uh, refugees, which the world is facing in a very large manner. And these people have undergone some of the most shocking stresses in their life and that really impacts their mental health. In fact, mental health of people, of normal people in extremely difficult circumstances is something that is a major area for research because it, it impacts people. And take the other example of COVID, of course, which we'll talk more about, it has affected almost all of us. I myself affected. And that is the kind of impact that is not much to do with myself is, is to do with the external environment and the situation that I find myself in. So those things have been less talked about, but are extremely important. So we're, we're going to get into age groups a little, a little bit further into the program. And then obviously, as you mentioned, into the pandemic. But I've written and a lot of people have written about the lifelong effects, impact of childhood stress and trauma. And as you know, many of the, the immigrants and refugees around the world are, are children today. Can you just talk sort of generally about the, the possible long-term negative impacts of stress and trauma during childhood? Sure. In fact, uh, uh, childhood is a period of, uh, of formative growth and development. So the child is developing physically, but child is also developing in, in the child's brain development in terms of cognition, in terms of uh, emotional uh, well-being, in terms of uh, social relationships and skills that children acquire. And if something happens during that stage, it can have not only immediate effects, but it actually makes them vulnerable for later mental health problems. And earlier that happens, the worse it is. Uh, for example, uh, abuse of children, uh, whether it's physical abuse or sexual abuse, can have major impact on, on the lifelong mental health and well-being. Uh, also neglect of all kind in terms of uh, not getting enough nutrition, not getting enough social stimulation, uh, emotional neglect, all of them actually can have major problems in life. There are research now to su suggest that uh, children who have been in some way undergone uh, major stresses during childhood can have three to four times the prevalence of depression in their later life. And it's not only depression, they can have alcohol problems, drug problems, uh, trauma-related uh, psychiatric illnesses. And 
it's a vicious cycle because if there is a traumatic event during childhood obviously even the family sometimes is in some way disturbed and that continues and then the child's education gets impacted child's earning capacity gets impacted which by themselves also have an impact on mental health so these are very major determinants of later life mental health and as when you said uh, some of the children find themselves in extremely difficult situations because they are refugees or they are in in some very refugee camps or immigrants with with very serious uh, issues before they became refugees and sometimes even after that and that can have a very lasting impact in fact a whole generation can get affected because of some of the events that we are seeing every day in in the world and and of course it's not just children uh, who are refugees or immigrants during the pandemic there are many kids around the world and, and in much of the US who for almost 2 years now have not been able to lead a normal life and i'm thinking in terms of schools particularly but in many other aspects as well talk about that on, on that group of of children during the pandemic and their mental health yep in fact there have been uh, uh, some studies and and a large uh, estimation about uh, how children's uh, education in terms of its interruption but also in terms of the way it is now being delivered uh, quite often by virtual means can have an impact on on those children and we are talking about hundreds of millions of of children uh, unicef has suggested that uh, this will have a very lasting impact on the on the children's education and on children's earning capacity and mental well-being in fact there is a report which was published just a week back from unicef which is focused on the mental health of children and that group of children who have missed school or are not able to get educated because there is no it infrastructure they don't have access to for example equipment or websites and and that can impact them take the fact that 50% of children all over the world have not gone back to the normal education pattern even now 18 months since the pandemic started and 20% children are not attending attending school at all in some of the poorer sections of society in in the us but also more so internationally will actually never go back to school because the, the interruption has been too long and sometimes their families have got them into some kind of jobs so that education for them especially for girl children becomes a non entity now and that's going to have a major impact on their life so it is the fact of some traumatic events but also the the long term environment in which they are living and covid has affected that a lot so that some children it's catastrophic uh, reaction and so for the children it is an incremental deficit that they are going to have throughout their life for their socioeconomic uh, uh, socioeconomic well-being as well as their psychological and emotional well-being just like zina if we if we turn our attention to adult populations now uh, how has the pandemic and i realize we're speaking on a global scale here uh, but how has the pandemic affected adult mental health uh, in the in the last Uh, you know couple of years i think it will not be uh, an exaggeration to say that in one way or the other 
all adults have been affected by the pandemic, more so in those countries where the COVID pandemic has affected more and also the restrictions uh, imposed because of the pandemic have been more severe. And uh, take them examples that many people have lost jobs, many people have been confined to their homes, many people have to rediscover different ways of working, sometimes their income has been decreased, some students find themselves uh, not having access to education, and, and so on. And also, uh, let's not forget that uh, a very large number of people have died, and it's their families and it's their colleagues who have also suffered because of uh, the trauma of losing somebody uh, in their family or, or in the workplace. And all of that has affected in a very major way. In fact, CDC for US maintains uh, a survey that is done periodically and their findings suggest that the anxiety and depression uh, amongst adults has been extremely high during this period between two to three times the, the prevalence in the pre-pandemic uh, period. Uh, almost 30 to 40% people are, are having anxiety and depression that is affecting their life in some way and many more are having symptoms. To me, it demonstrates a couple of things. One, that mental health has to be seen as a dimension and not as a binary between some people who have a disorder and many others who don't. It's not about them, it's about all of us. And, and that is very clearly demonstrated by the COVID because most of us are affected in a small or in a larger way. The second thing which is demonstrated is that something could be done about all of these. People who are coping just a little bit less than earlier, people who have clear mental health symptoms and functional problems, and people who have a clear disorder and need clinical help, and some other people who are disabled because of mental illness. For all these four categories on this dimension, something can be done. We can all promote our mental health, we can prevent mental disorders. And if we happen to have a disorder, we need treatment and that can also be done. So these two things, the realization that's about all of us and the realization that there is a COVID pandemic going on, but also there is a mental health pandemic going on is something that I think are clear lessons from the, uh, the current situation. Yeah, one of the things that I, I learned uh, or relearned in the course of the pandemic was that Public health is less about individual health outcomes and more about preserving and protecting that that the healthcare system that serves all of society. In the pursuit of 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 public health in the aggregate, and you mentioned the lockdowns and the negative mental health consequences of that. Was enough attention paid to the consequences for mental public health? I think the short answer is no because we were too preoccupied, especially the policymakers, about preventing illnesses and preventing deaths. And in many cases, the reaction, the lockdowns, the closure of schools and workplaces, closure of entertainment facilities, was a kind of knee-jerk reaction. Obviously, many of them were needed, but there is a balance between uh, avoiding infections and avoiding, avoiding hospitalizations and deaths, and also seeing to it that the mental well-being of the general population is protected and, and promoted. 
and i think in some cases those uh, balances were not not easy to find and and the impact on the mental health and, and well-being has been very large now there is an increasing realization that uh, this has to be considered as a part of policy for both things one the restrictions have to be in some way uh, every, there has to be evidence that these restriction restrictions are more helpful than harmful so you know clarity about that is very necessary with mental health and well-being part of the equation and the second is that even if restrictions are needed there has to be something else happening so that the impact of that on mental health and well-being is decreased as much as possible and i will mention two more things if you permit one yes. is that there are vulnerable sections of society which are impacted much more than others so for example for me it is possible to work in a virtual environment but for any, many other people it is not and their income and their work suffers much more so what are we doing about those people and also people who are generally discriminated against and the second fact i would like to mention is that the people who are in the front line of public health response are themselves affected in a very major way so we have doctors and nurses and other staff of healthcare services who are working around the clock in very difficult environment sometimes shortage of staff is there sometimes shortage of safety equipment is there and the stresses and the impact on them has to be very carefully monitored and and corrected otherwise we will have on top of all the crises that we have we will have a public health services crisis because many people are going to get burned out burned out and and leave the the services or work at less efficient manner than others and those are considerations that policies have to take care of and have to take care of now we need to take a quick moment for station identification this is story in the public square where storytelling meets public affairs an audio version of this show can be heard four times every weekend on Sirius XM Satellite Radio's popular Politics of the United States. That's the POTUS channel, number 124. We produce Story in the Public Square with a great crew at Rhode Island PBS, and we're lucky to work with them. I'm Jim Lutis. On most days, you can find me running the Pell Center at Salve Regina University in beautiful Newport, Rhode Island. If you want to connect with me on Twitter, you can do so at JMLutis. Joining me as he does every week in the co-host chair is my friend G. Wayne Miller, who is an award-winning journalist with the Providence Journal and the author of 19 books. You can find Wayne on Twitter too, at G. Wayne Miller. And our guest this week is Dr. Shaker Saxena, a psychiatrist by training. He is professor of the practice of global health at the Department of Global Health and Population at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. He's talking to us today about the mental health impacts globally of the pandemic. So one of the obstacles to creating that balance that you talked about before and that looking at the entire person, the mind and the body, has been stigma. And, and you have studied this. Many people have studied this and are well aware of this. Uh, and, and it's been well known for decades. Why do you think that stigma still persists. I mean, in, in some senses, the attitudes on the part of at least some people are almost medieval in, when it comes to people living with mental challenges or with mental illness. What, what, what's, the, what's the reason, if, if you know? You are right, Wayne. The stigma is there, the stigma persists, and it is global. 
it's there in all communities, all countries. I don't think I'll be able to answer satisfactorily why stigma is there, but I do know it's there. And also it leads to not only people's attitudes being negative, but also people's behavior being negative. And that is actually more of a problem because we uh, don't talk about our mental health problems, but also we discriminate against people who have come out uh, with the fact that they have a mental health problem or a disorder or a disability, and, and they are very damaging. It affects the way we think, it affects the way we behave, and it also affects the policies actually uh, all over the world. And in fact, WHO just uh, launched its mental health atlas uh, last week, which is uh, data from 2020 for all countries. It turns out that the world is spending far too little money on mental health as a part of the overall health package. It's between one to 3% when the burden of mental disorder is more than 10%. So there's a huge gap between what we need to do and what we're doing. And part of that is because of the stigma. But there are other instances where stigma is, is really very detrimental. Imagine a workplace where on an average, one could imagine that out of 100 people, five will have a serious mental health issue and about 10 will have some you know, more minor mental health issue. And the disclosure that, that somebody has a problem is very, very small, it's less than 1%. So what are the other people doing? They are either not seeking help, which is itself not a good thing to do, but otherwise they're seeking help in a manner that is very private and, and the workplace doesn't know, the manager doesn't know that there is a problem. And so that is the impact of a stigma because preventive measures, promotive measures, and sometimes very clearly needed treatment and care is not being provided. And that leads to much higher level of disability and sometimes problems becoming chronic. And it's not only in the workplace, it's also there and otherwise also in schools. And those are the pernicious impacts of stigma and discrimination that are there. And we need to take that into account. I should also say there is a small silver lining to the pandemic. Since, as I talked about earlier, most of us seem to be affected in one way or the other. The realization that mental health is something that is important to us and for all of us has actually increased. So there is a little more receptivity a little more inclination to share one's own mental health issues, even at the workplace or in the community. And that is really at least a step in the positive direction. So one of your passions is suicide prevention. And, and I think there's no question the pandemic has exacerbated that situation. Talk about the importance of suicide prevention. Suicide is uh, unfortunately an extremely common event, uh, including the attempts for suicide or self-harm. About 700,000 people die all over the world because of uh, suicide every year. And uh, in some countries, and I should also mention in USA, the suicide rate is high and is increasing as opposed to many other countries, including China, where it is decreasing actually. And suicide, of course, has multiple reasons. And as we talked about earlier, some of the socioeconomic reasons are quite prominent, but also uh, presence of mental health problems like depression or psychosis or alcohol problems 
are important uh, causes for for suicide uh, suicide prevention strategies need to be very clearly applied and during covid time a lot of people are becoming more lonely and are more prone for attempts we still don't have data about whether the rate has actually increased or not but the chances are that with a some lag period it might show actually quite an increase and we need to act now on that in terms of policy but in also terms of uh, providing help and when i say help i don't only mean clinical help help by somebody who's around family colleagues they need to go and ask how are you feeling and sometimes even that simple discussion really helps it's a myth to say that we talk about death to somebody uh, the chances of suicide will increase and actually they are quite willing to and keen to talk and that really is the first step towards seeking care and getting care Dr. Saxena, you know, there we've got just about two and a half minutes left in the show. You know, it's it's probably worth noting now that uh, listen to, to remind our viewers and listeners that uh, in the United States, anyways, anyone who's in immediate danger should call nine one one. But I, I'm curious if you have any advice. We, we've seen colleges and universities this year have uh, been struck by uh, I don't know if it's a statistically higher number of suicides, but Schools are grappling with a mental health crisis across the United States right now. Do you have any advice for administrators uh, who are grappling with these issues? Absolutely, a very important uh, issue. Uh, in fact, the anxiety and depression that I talked about earlier is much higher amongst young adults and adolescents than in the middle age and, and older age group. Uh, they are perhaps coping up better. So the young people's mental health is a major concern. Students in schools, students in colleges, and uh, in sports clubs and other other places have to be really looked after in a in a very careful manner. And I think the administrators, as you asked, have a major responsibility to create the kind of environment which is inclusive and open, so that people can talk about their emotional well-being together with other things and also provide services when needed. Generally in the university and school setups, mental health services are really very deficient. And so we need to refurbish that and we need to also then create the environment where people who come in contact with the young people, for example, teachers, professors, they need to be aware that these are problems which are becoming very common and provide some basic advice and counseling and if needed, refer to the more specialist resources. That is urgently needed. So we, we have very little time left here, but if you could very quickly, what would you advise to the general public, people who are watching or listening to the show who have mental health challenges? What should they do? The first step, the second step, what, what should they do? About 15 seconds. Pay importance to your own mental health and of people around you. Look for early signs talk to them and refer them for care if needed. That's the place to leave it. Dr. Shikhar Saxena, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, that is all the time we have this week, but if you want to know more about Story in the Public Square, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter or visit PellCenter.org where you can always catch up on previous episodes. For G. Wayne Miller, I'm Jim Lutis, asking you to join us again next time for more Story in the Public Square. <laughs>